Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode, this episode is a great episode. They're talking to Scott Barber, the director of the new film This Is Guar, a documentary all about, as you would imagine, Guar. And what a what a fantastic piece of work he's produced. It's a real lovingly crafted film, really letting you inside the world of Guaya. This is a gory, heavy, controversial band, and and Scott has complete access and has produced something f- quite fantastic because of it. Uh, his love of metal is 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 there to see. His love of the band is there to see, and it's a fascinating insight into a band. You know, Guaya. I mean, you've seen the, the videos. You've seen how they kind of they are on stage. It's nice to go almost behind that and inside that and and see what makes up Guar and what happens, you know, how they, how they produce music, how they tour. It's a fascinating insight. It's currently available uh, to stream on Shudder and it's a it's a must-see for for people who have never seen Guar before because it's a perfect introduction, but it's also absolutely a, a must-see for fans of Guar. And that's This Is Guar, directed by Scott Barber on Shudder, available now to stream so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I, I was one, it's certainly one of the most fun conversations I've had for quite some time. It was someone who had really wanted to speak to. He was over in Texas. So there's a couple of like bits and pieces where it goes up and down. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you'd, you'd really want that, wouldn't you, rather than not having this conversation at all. So please, and pieces, there isn't many. And hopefully you can enjoy my conversation with director of This Is Guar, Mr. Scott Barber. Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, really nice to welcome to the show a gentleman who's uh, directed a recent documentary about the band Guar. This is Guar. Um, it's really nice to have on the show Scott Barber. Welcome, sir. How are we doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, we start. We often start these things talking about the first uh, metal that you hear, and I'll tailor it a little bit for yourself and say, what's the first metal you hear, and what is the first Guar you hear? Uh, the first metal. Oh, man. I mean, I can remember uh, hearing Metallica when I was like a little kid and being like, what is that? You know, this is pretty awesome. You know, I mean, I was like 10. I didn't know anything about music. I can just remember hearing uh, one, that song one, and just thinking like, man, this is really cool. And seeing the music video. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, seeing whenever Jason Newstead would kind of headbang and it's his head was all his hair was shaved underneath the sides yeah and, yeah <laughs> yeah and pretty quick i had to have that haircut i was like oh my gosh i so by the time i was like a little bit older like a teenager i had that haircut and thought it was so awesome and then i wanted to grow it out just long everywhere <laughs> but i had like the underneath was like poking through you know it was like shoulder length <laughs> on top but uh yeah that was probably the first metal that i ever heard uh and then you know, I got into like a lot of thrash and stuff like that. Uh, when I got a little bit older, that was kind of really what I liked the most, the fast stuff, a lot of the crossover stuff. That was kind of my jam when I got to be a little older. So then when's, when does kind of, when are you introduced to Gua? When's, when's that happen? Is it much later? Uh, no, it was probably 1993 or 4, 1994, probably somewhere around there. And we talk about this in the movie, and it's how a lot of people got introduced to Guar. It was on Beavis and Butthead. And, yeah. you know, Beavis and Butthead, Guar was their favorite band. 
And uh, I remember just being like, what is that? You know, because it wasn't like yeah. anything else I had ever seen. You know, Nirvana and grunge and a lot of that kind of stuff was dominating MTV. And also some of the hair metal bands were still hanging on. Uh, you know, and I even watched shows like 120 Minutes that had some weird stuff. You know, 120 Minutes Headbangers Ball on MTV that had some weird stuff on it, but not weird like that. And I just remember being like, what is that? <laughs> it was their favorite band. And I, uh, you know, I'm from Texas. So I was kind of like, I was Beavis and Butthead at the time. <laughs> you know, like I didn't, uh, I didn't get that it was a parody. You know, I thought they were awesome. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that they loved Guar, I was like, well, I should probably love Guar too. So that was kind of my first intro to them. People forget about Beavis and Butthead. Yes, it was funny, but it genuinely, you would see videos you wouldn't see anywhere else there. Yes, I remember seeing, yes. you know, White Zombie, Porno for Pyros, Harry uh, yep. Rollins on the Liar video I first saw was yes. on there. So it was funny, but I would also get introduced to this new music. And like yourself, the 90s was, was, was when I got introduced to Guar. And it seemed to come from left field. It was like nothing else. They were like they're literally from another planet. And, <laughs> and, and when they were doing their interviews, they were in character as well. And yep. talking intelligently about what they were doing. It was all, they had a whole storyline behind them. And I was just... I remember thinking, what is this? Where, where's normally you can see a route for things? Oh, this came from hair metal, this came from thrash metal. Wow, where the hell did that come from? And it really piqued my interest, much like yourself. Yeah, same here. Totally. A hundred percent. Uh yeah, I I and you're right about being uh, you know, because it was Mike Judge who did that show. And yeah. um, you know, there was the through line, Beavis and Butthead story, but then it was always music that he liked that he thought were cool that mm. you know couldn't get on mtv any other way uh, and yeah i mean white zombie i remember that beavis and butt had made them yeah. you know they played that thunder kiss 65 and 65, they were huge yeah. yeah yeah they were huge after that and uh yeah i mean and, and it, they kind of did the same with guar although guar didn't quite have the they weren't a dream success like white zombie and later rob zombie was able to do yeah it was it was just like it was the first i think foray where i you know we the previous generation had had like alice cooper and had these bands that did kind of shock rock and theatrics way beyond fireworks and pyro where they had like costumes and stuff and it was the first time for me in generationally when i would see that where it was like wow there's there's costumes what what you can have costumes like you say i was watching metallica and they were in street gear these were like had huge you know headpieces and and statues yeah. and all kinds of things and it was like you know, and it was the first time I'd, I'd seen it with Alice Cooper and Kiss, I suppose, to a certain degree, but not a thing like this. And it was, and it was gory. You know, the horror fan of me was like, "This is great. This is metal. I like metal. Yeah. This is horror. I like those two. This is like a the visual metaphor for both of them." You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was there was nothing like it, and I think too the fact that they, you know, you brought up, uh, you know, what was on you know tv and, and just in music both mainstream and underground and how there was nothing like it and i think that's kind of what's helped them outlive any trend because they didn't belong because to they trend, don't have yeah, a look yeah. or a sound that's specific mm -hmm. to one they didn't belong to one and that you know the way they looked was always kind of hidden so it's not like they had a certain fashion sense that went in or out of style and they really have they they've run the gamut on 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 music styles there's 
you know, what is the Guar sound? There's really not. Yeah, it's, it's open, isn't it? I mean, you can go from everything from like, you know, uh, Scumdogs of the Universe doesn't sound anything like, you know, uh, we kill everything. It doesn't sound, they don't sound, they're, they're, they're totally, it's like Zappa. It's almost like Zappa did a different album. That Guar were just, because they were, they were genderless, genderless, you should say, it was open to yeah. being whatever. That's it must have been incredibly free. I suppose the, the, the next most obvious question, Scott, is where the hell do you start when you want to make a documentary about that? There's 25 plus members, 13 plus albums, 14, 15 plus albums, a randomly generated you know, amount of people. Where the hell do you start? Well, you know, I always keep a list of what I think would make a cool documentary. And right. Guar was on that list. Any anytime I think of something, oh, that would be cool. Guar was on that list, you know, because Guar is, I think, a little bit like Motorhead in that everybody likes them. You know, Motorhead or <laughs> or Danzig, the Misfits. It's one yeah. of those things. No matter what you're into, if you're into traditional metal or classic rock or thrash or punk, you know, uh, everybody likes you know Motorhead and Guar is like that as well. Um, and even like hipsters, you know, they love Guar. Everybody just thinks they're awesome. So I thought that would be really, really cool. And uh, I had a friend, uh, a really close friend uh, named Rocky Moon, who plays in a band called the American Sharks. They're awesome. They're another band like that, that uh, they kind of combine like the Melvins, like that sludgy doom kind of sound, but it's fast, like yeah. thrash or something. It's really, really cool stuff. And he opened up for Guar. American Sharks opened up for Guar on the uh, the first tour after uh, Dave Brocky had passed away. Right. And so, because they were all kind of they they were all kind of so raw in that time, from what I gather, I wasn't there, but there was a lot of bonding that 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 was happening there. Um, hmm. And and so he, uh, you know, he hung out with the Guar guys. And I remember he said something that at that point it went from being just something on the list to being something that I had to do. And that was, he said that he had Thanksgiving at Jizz Max house from the bar. <laughs> and I imagined what the hell would that be like? You know, what would, what would that be like? And uh, so I just had to, I had to do it, you know? And then as I did a little more research, um, you know, I'm a, of course, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, metal and also, you know, all types of rock music. So uh, that was kind of cool that I kind of got to combine two things I was into. You know, I love documentary filmmaking as long as it's good and as long as there's a good subject. But, you know, the fact that I kind of had roots in that world, I felt gave me a little bit of an edge. I was a documentary filmmaker, but also I, I knew about this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I grew up loving Guar um, and I love horror. I, I love comic books and Dungeons and Dragons. And that is like everything that I love was combined into Guar. So um, I thought that it would be a great idea. And as I was talking to them, they kind of were really open to it. They said, you can talk about whatever you want, because, you know, sometimes you you um, talk to people and they're like, oh, don't go into this, don't go into that. And especially when you're working with the subject, it can be very awkward and weird. And the fact that they were like, no, I mean, go through the hard parts. That's fine. We, you know, we don't want this to seem like it's a commercial, 
that's just, you know, an hour and a half, two hours of talking about how Guar is awesome, even though <laughs> that is what the majority of the <laughs> documentary is saying, um, you know, uh, so meeting those guys and, you know, I told him actually, I was like, I don't want to make a heavy metal documentary at all. I don't want yeah. this to feel like a rock doc because that's really yeah. not what Guar is. They're an artist collective. They are yeah. performance. Yes. They're, they're like you said, that's what makes them different than Kiss and Alice Cooper and Marilyn Manson and other groups that have worn costumes is hmm. the costumes aren't an afterthought. The costumes are actually the main thing, the storyline around it. And yes. the guys that make the costumes are every bit as much a member of the band as the guitar players. Yeah. And so that was the thing that, that I, you know, that I told him, I said, I want to make a documentary that your fans will certainly love, but also people that have just heard about y'all from empire records will also love. Cause you know, that idea of sticking to your guns and, and, and having the choice to sell out and do you, do you maintain your artistic credibility or do you, do you make millions of dollars and having a friend pass away, you know, and that's something that's not metal exclusive. That's something that anybody can relate to. So when I kind of told them that they were really into it, uh, luckily they were really into that. Cause you previously, um, you previously directed the, the Nickelodeon story. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that that was a real nice juxtaposition to go to, to go up, but it was obvious, you know, from the things I've read and seen talk to you now, just how much of it, it was a, a labor of love that yes, you took all your, documentary filmmaking chops that you have about telling a story you like not just being a straight up metal documentary telling a story uh, about like you say i'm glad you said that because i was going to touch on that that it is uh, it's almost vaudeville it's art what they were doing it did the whole thing if you to understand and be into guar isn't to just like the songs it's understanding the lyrics are based on folklore and there's, there's a, a, a running line and a story and and things are going on to really enhance the whole thing there's so much thought gone into it i think that's what 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 i think initially people get into it don't maybe realize that there is a massive sort of history with it you know go run through all the albums with all the characters and who they are and, and yeah. you can't do that unless you truly believe in what you do you, ha you have mm -hmm. to completely commit to that yeah, and that's where, you know, the whole comic book and Dungeons and Dragons things kind of come into it because, you know, Guar has a interesting winding folklore. And I mean, Guar, the, the space barbarians, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, it's funny when you talk about the history of Guar, it's like, are you talking about the scum dogs of the universe that got well, banished yeah. to Earth? Or are you yeah. talking about these guys from Richmond that, uh, you know, started a metal band? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the comic book sci-fi version of it has this really intricate history that's every bit as intricate as like a uh, Wolverine or, uh, you know, yeah. an X-Men comic. It's really wild. Yeah, I think that, that really comes, I mean, when, like, you know, they start in 84, and by the time we get to now, it, just to unpick the stuff that's going on with the levels of storytelling, it is, it's like a Game of Thrones type of thing. There's mo many mm -hmm. characters involved on many levels, and I think that's what people... People gravitate to things, like you said about Motorhead and the Misfits and Danzig. If someone's around long enough, people are interested as why is that then? There must be something there of value, yeah. you know, within the band themselves, what they're writing about, how they're writing. And so you got to see, I mean, how much did they let you into the sort of the creation process, you know, of, of how they wrote songs and, and put it, the, the, the whole art installation, if you will, as a tour together? How, how much did they let you in of that? 
they let me in a lot. They were, they were so awesome to work with. They really were because it was really a documentary filmmaker's dream in that they gave me full access. Uh, when you see the documentary, it's just loaded with all their old videos. Because in the early days, they were filming constantly. So I have yeah. all these photos and videos. So I had all the good side of working with, directly with a subject. You know, when I was working on the Nickelodeon documentary, Nickelodeon didn't want anything to do with me. You know, they were, they had no desire. And a lot of the people that I would interview were afraid of the all power, all powerful Nickelodeon Viacom thing. So people didn't really want to go into the dark stuff. And this was the opposite. So I had everything good about that, but I also had everything good about them. Um, like I was saying, not the, they really, I said, what do you, what, what can I not talk about in this? Cause I'd rather let's, let's, let's do that up front. Yeah, so I don't yeah, waste. Yeah. yeah. I don't waste a bunch of time. And they were really like, nah, anything is up for grabs. You know, we've had a lot of ups, we've had a lot of downs. And so you can do whatever you want. And they were very open. And <laughs> it's funny. I would ask them, you know, every, every tour kind of has a story that goes along with it. And a lot of the albums have a story. So I would ask them, how does that work? Do the guys write, the musicians write songs and y'all write a story around it or, or what? And they were kind of like, whatever, you know, whatever happens <laughs> sometimes, you know, like on the, um, the last album, Blood of Gods, mm -hmm. they have a song called Dickie Duncan. And Dickie Duncan is about, is this character that kind of looks like Grimace from McDonald's, this big fat, uh, really cool he gets cut in half on stage and he's actually played <laughs> by two people so they're the two halves are able to bounce around and so i was asking you know did you create that character and then they wrote the song around that character and in that case yes that's that's what happened bob and had this he wanted a character that was two people and so they wrote the song but it's it's really this whole all these people have been working together for so long. And that's one thing that, that is kind of annoying when people will joke, oh, did you know there's no original members? Like, that's technically true. But, you yes. know, Bob Gorman, Matt McGuire, Mike Dirks, Michael Bishop, Brad Roberts, they've been in the band since 1985. So, you know, fuck that. Yeah. Those guys might as well be yeah. original members because – who else has been in a band for that long? And they've exactly. all been working, the musicians and artists, they've all been working together for, they, they've all been working together for so long that they they know how to have this weird relationship with each other to yeah, write songs and like make characters. And, yeah. And yeah. It's like, yeah, it, they, it just, it just, 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 you know, when you're around that many people for that many amounts of time, you, there's a lot of things will go unsaid. You know, like you say, the right now with one day, this particular person will write something another day, this gets brought in. And there probably isn't, as many people would like to think, a secret source, a secret, well, we write like this. There probably isn't because it's so free. What they're doing is so free. There's no, you know, when you put a Guar album on, certainly, ladies and gentlemen, if, you, if this is the first time you're hearing of the band Guar and you go away and listen to them, I can guarantee whichever album you listen to will be a different experience than the next one, 100%. It will be, it will be different. And, that's something you know that's 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 an amazing thing. There's been lots of members of the of the Slave Pet Incorporated. There's been a lot of people there. Um, when did you start actually filming? Then did you start 
just research them first with all the, the things that they sent you? Or did you go out and tour with them? Or did you interview them? How did you start the process? So the first thing I did was I kind of had to prove myself because Guar's had a lot of people um, come up and try to do documentaries or TV shows about them. And everybody's always kind of wanted them to do the work, you know, like, yeah. I want to point a camera at you and you just be crazy. Guar. Um, and they wanted to make sure that my vision was, um, you know, something that they were into and, you know, I wasn't you know, going to make them look horrible or, or something like that. So I made a little mini documentary and that started in 2018. I made a little like 15 minute um, documentary that, that some of it make, made it in the final film. Uh, and I, I had to, you know, I, I edited this 15 minute documentary and showed it to them. And then they were kind of like, okay, fine. You're the guy. Yeah, you can do this. And <laughs> You know, one thing that I learned is with Guar, everything takes a while to get an answer back from them because there's so many people and they all have yeah. to okay it. And so it took a couple of weeks after I sent it to them and I was like on pins and needles. I was like, oh, crap, I guess they didn't <laughs> like it. You know, I guess I'm not going to get to do this. I had my hopes up and then they said, yeah, sure, this is great. So we started there and I did. I did go on. I I followed them around for about uh, three or four cities. I followed them around to three or four cities. Um, and that really showed me how hard those guys work. Their, their work ethic is, is, is unequaled. You know, they get there at 10 in the morning. They get to the venue at 10 in the morning and they have to put, first they have to carpet the stage. They have to put that butcher, you know, paper all over, the monitors and everything. And then they have to set everything up and then they do a meet and greet with their fans where they'll, they'll have fans that will come in and take pictures with them and they'll sign autographs and then they do sound check and then they play and then they're done at 1am. And then the next day they do it all over again for months, for two or three months. And it was insane for me to try to keep up for me to try to keep up with them was crazy. And and it was just insane. So that, that made me gain, you know, I, it's one thing to hear about it. I'd always heard, and they told me, you know, this is what we do. This is what we do. But for me to see it, it was really awesome. And it made me understand that much more. Uh, and then, you know, we started the editing. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. There's a little delay, slight delay. It's all good. It's all good. Keep going. Sorry. Um, no, I was going to say, um, then we started the editing process and that took a while because we had so many interviews and we also, we also had, uh, so many, um, so much, uh, archival footage that they sent us to go through. I mean, it was a treasure trove a long time for, uh, myself and mainly the editor and go through find all these beautiful time guar would say something in the interview we could pretty much find a clip of them of what they were talking about so the editing process talked long time but luckily it was during lockdown so uh, <laughs> it was fine <laughs> you know that it gave us something <laughs> to do 
it's it's funny. I, I mean, talk, we, we must talk about the live show because that's where a lot of people would have probably first seen them. I mean, for me, it was knowing they were on uh, at a festival and going, well, we must see Guar just because the visuals alone would be would be amazing. I remember seeing them. You know, this is around sort of the early '90s, and it was the first time I'd seen something like that on on stage because there was decapitations, there was people getting de- eviscerated, there was blood and and semen, it's so to speak, it's sent out into the crowd, and they loved it. The crowd loved it, and I remember thinking, "What the what the fuck is what is this that the the people like get trying to get to the front so they can have entrails thrown on them and stuff and." And it was the first time I saw a band do something like that, especially at the time. I think the, the president at the time was Bush. And they brought him out and, and beheaded him and then brought out other po- yeah. political figures and cultural figures like Gandhi and stuff. And they would behead them. And I was like, this is just wild. They're making political statements as well as doing I was like, this is, I, at the age I was as a teenager, I found it like mind blowing because that's one of the things that, that gets levelled against them. That it's that it's the kind of um, the the kind of controversial. But I think anybody who actually watches the show and understands the context that that's in realizes that it's they're not taking sides politically or anything like that. They're merely it's it's a pastiche. It's a it's a send up of, of of those important figures. But that was the first time I remember um, Farris and Wonderland as well. That was kind of the thing that was on fairly heavy rotation. And I remember, I didn't remember bands at the time doing things like that, where they would tie in videos and do long form videos. Um, so visually, when did you first see them live? Was it when you started working with them, or did you seen them actually in the flesh beforehand? Yeah, I had seen them in the flesh before, um, but and I was a, I was familiar with them because you know if you're into rock and roll, you're you're pretty familiar. You're at yeah. least somewhat familiar with Guar, but uh, you know it wasn't until I started this that I really went down the rabbit hole and learned all the members that have ever been in there uh, for the most part there's been like they, they will they will say there's been a hundred members and that might be true and you know I learned all the all the lore the sci-fi lore and stuff like that um, but yeah that that was kind of the story you know I got to see him so many times during this documentary and I got to see him right I was always right up front you know i was filming them with my camera right up front and so that was (laughs) that was unlike anything uh i had experienced before did you what did you think uh was the the audience is there a a case of what are their audience kind of constantly rediscovering them so by that do i mean that there's a whole generation now of rediscovering guar because that's what i found when i was into them in the 90s there was a bit of a gap and then they got back into it again it was a whole different audience and they seem to regenerate in that respect because of, like you say, the, the being uh, genreless and kind of like completely their own thing. I think now there seems to be, certainly after your documentary, I think there'll be something of a, a, a reassessment of them as well. I certainly hope so. You know, you look at a show like Metalocalypse that was on Adult mm. Swim and that's Guar, you know, so yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that they could have a show. Uh, I think they could do, I think the sky is the limit for those guys. And I hope that a lot of good things do uh, come out of this documentary. I hope it, it does introduce new people to them because, um, you know, we've been playing at festivals. And so a lot of people who aren't metal people or Guar fans have been watching it. And, you know, the response that we get online is I didn't know about these guys and now I want to know more about them because yeah. yet there's the, you know, 
if you're into metal or or not even metal if you're into rock and roll you're gonna like them if you're into sci-fi and dungeons and dragons and comic books and that kind of stuff you're gonna love them if you're into comedy you're gonna love them if you're into political satire there's so much to love and i think uh yeah i i would love to see them take on a new medium like a tv show or a cartoon or something like that and and yeah be introduced to a whole new audience yeah i've certainly seen that whenever i've seen them recently live i've seen a whole new audience be just as shocked as i was when i first seen them and and this day and age when it's almost impossible to shock people now still having the ability to do that is is it's one of the secrets of comedy right is that good good comedians know exactly the correct things to push buttons to push and it's the same with Gua. they'll change the people like hang or, or de- decapitate they'll change them at different choices whoever the the main figure is to, to to do that and i think that that's a wonderful that's a wonderful freeness that like but one of the things i wanted to talk about was that there's some stuff that i didn't realize when i did my research for this interview just things like mm. the guar bar and the guar barbecue and the things that they're doing within their society, within their kind of, uh, you know, their, their, their world, what they're doing. I never knew about these things. Was it something that you were familiar with? I wasn't. No, I was not familiar with it. Mm. And that's one thing, you know, that those guys talk about as music in general has gotten away from selling records, mm. but especially rock and roll, you know, not being at the forefront anymore. And, those guys are like, well, we were built for this. We were never about selling records. We were never, we were always about other ways. You know, they've always had comic books. They've always had uh, things like that. And it's always been about the live show as amazing as they are musically. And they are, they are incredible. Uh, It's always been about the live show. So, um, and they've been smart. The fact that they haven't sold out uh, is they own a lot of their catalog. So now they can do these big re-releases uh, and they don't have to pay a label. Uh, they, they, um, and the one label that they were on is, uh, you know, Metal Edge, who's incredibly cool, or re- incredibly awesome and, and, and is supportive of them. So all of their records are either owned by them or owned by, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I said Metal, <laughs> I said Metal, metal Blade. Metal Blade. Was just, I was just reading it. I was just reading an article from Metal Injection uh, about Guar. So I got every yeah. Brian Slagle from Metal Blade, um, you know, has who is interviewed in the film, uh, and that was a trip. Uh, that was a trip getting to interview uh, people like that. You know, like Randy Bly from Lamb of God, and uh, you know Michael from um, The Darkest Hour, and Brian. I mean Brian freaking Slagle. It was amazing. Um, but I, I got off uh, subject there. Yeah, they they were built for this, for not having to sell records. And that's another way, like you said, they've they've reinvented themselves. They have they're constantly uh, they have they have weed. That's guar weed. They have guar beer, guar whiskey, the guar bar, which I would say anybody listening to this, if you can visit the guar bar, it's such an amazing experience. Uh, and then, yeah, the barbecue that is um pretty much uh every year it hasn't been for the last couple of years but hopefully that'll change uh and you know they they have um i mean they're always thinking of new things comic books uh you know there's um the cuttlefish of cthulhu which was the huge 
schwanz that was between odorous urungus's legs you know that would squirt whatever alien semen <laughs> on people uh they just made a, a dildo that's that that's that that people can buy <laughs> i mean a they're, they're, yeah they're always thinking of new ways and so you know kudos to those guys they're they're fantastic businessmen yeah they, they seem so it seems like they just they understand what they are and are, and, are, and are very comfortable with that. And that's a really powerful thing. I think that we, we are most definitely feeling the vibrations of the stuff that they did earlier on. You know, you only have to look you know, close to that. You know, we look at someone like Slipknot and we look at some of the bands that use masks, Mushroom Head and bands like that. And then even sort of more sort of modern things, something like Ghost, there's, there's very yeah. clear elements that, they, that, that, that were set up by Guar. You know, it's like you, the... The staying in character, you know, interviewing in character and stuff and, and, and a law and following that type of thing. And it's and I don't think if it got anything from what I've looked into about Guard, because I thought I was a fan and I was so far removed from my understanding of it, it was unbelievable, which is why I can't wait to see the documentary, is that the the there was so much there, they own their own publishing, they own you know, they, they control that type of thing. These are smart, intelligent musician moves. I, I mean, I quoted Zappa before, but it actually seems like it's a very similar situation where they fully understand what their brand is, they fully know what they're doing from a marketing point of view. Way before it was cool to have a brand or say that you you, you had a brand and you were in control of it. Now that's a, the normal thing, the band will have uh, you know, way beyond t shirts, all kinds of other paraphernalia that they would have. Maybe they won't have dildos, but they'll have they'll have paraphernalia uh, because they, they know how to brand it themselves. <laughs> and but Guar have been doing it, it seems like for a lot longer before it was even cool to do so. You know, yeah, from the very beginning. And you know, my my friend Rocky that I mentioned earlier uh, from American Sharks. You know, he told me the day he got signed. Uh, to a record label they said congratulations you're a t-shirt salesman now <laughs> and you know I feel like for rock yeah. bands you know uh, th this day and age I feel like rock bands that's that's unfortunately you know kind of it, it's not really why you do it but it is how you make money and yeah, yeah they've uh, they were set up from the very beginning and you know fortunately it just it worked out for them and like you said the, the way the world is now where everyone everyone's trying to do that and they already have 30 years of experience doing it so uh i hope that you know that they continue to to to, to flourish and they they do even more you know they get the they get to do even more cool stuff so you when you were looking for people to speak uh, uh and talk about why you talk about randy from lama garden brian you know were you were you surprised that you could get some of these people getting brian's a great guy he's like almost the godfather of of metal isn't he you know it's, it's you know if he if he gives the the, the seal of approval that's it he, you, you gold man you know yeah yeah that was insane um and you know i'm a like i said i'm a i'm a texas guy you know and uh rigor mortis a straight up span you know they were right there with pantera uh in the in the in the 80s and so uh you know casey Orr, who's that was incredible. And yeah, to get Brian Slagle was incredible. But you know, all that, that's not about me. You know, ultimately that comes yeah. down to. I, I, I suppose the, the next sort of the obvious question is to ask that what's, you've distributed the film within the States. Is it, is it kind of available in the States as we speak? It's not. No. Um, okay. the, tentative, the tentative date is 
July 21st, and that will be uh, all English-speaking countries. Right. So it'll. It, I think it's late July, July 21st. It should be available, um, you know, in uh, the States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Excellent. Is it going to be through stream, some streamer services or something then? It is, yeah. A uh-huh. streaming service has uh has purchased it and we're really excited yeah we're excited about the one that uh that picked it up uh it's a perfect match uh i don't know i don't know when when do you air this uh this will probably be airing in the next few days so certainly at the very beginning of june um okay yeah i don't know um I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Uh, <laughs> oh no, you've you've just got the rights to do that. I wouldn't I wouldn't risk that. Like we need to have as many people as we can watch this documentary. Yeah. We need to, as many people as we can to see Guar. I want totally. people to, who've never heard of it before to see this as much as I want people who are big fans. I think you'll, they'll get a lot from it. Yeah, I do. I do too. It, I, I I shudder at the thought of what might happen <laughs> if I if I if I if I gave let the cat out of the bag. Sure. I shudder at that but, thought. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Scott's going to be responsible for putting Guar into certain people's households and scaring the scaring the hell out of people once more. Guar is uh, is going to be, I think, is going to be re-embraced all, all over again, uh, which is a really exciting, exciting prospect. Ladies and gentlemen, it's really nice to chat to, to Scott Barber, the director of uh, This Is Guar. Thanks for coming on the show, sir. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I appreciate it. Wonderful Scott Barber, the director of This Is Guar, a documentary on Shudder streaming right now. I suggest you check it out. Obviously, this has give you maybe a little bit of a primer, a little bit of a push to go and check that out. Please, it is an absolutely superb documentary about some a band that maybe a lot of people know about, um, or at least are aware of how good Guar are. And Scott Barber does maybe the definitive documentary on there. Please check it out. It's on Shudder at the moment, available to stream. That is This Is Guar, directed by the wonderful Scott Barber. Just want to give a shout out to Ginger Kid Productions for help setting up that interview. Thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate that. And I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you did something from that. And maybe Guar is a band you've never really considered before. And that maybe piqued your interest. And then you go and check out the documentary, which you most certainly should do. Uh, it'd be nice to see if Scott Barber can make it over to uh, to the UK and we can kind of speak in person as well and maybe show that film. That'd be nice, wouldn't it, ladies and gentlemen, to do that. But uh, until then, I hope you uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, thanks for listening. I deeply appreciate it. And I'll see you at the show.